This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. We come to Colossians chapter 3, and we've... Uh, in the singing uh, this morning, have sung of the love of God. I'm glad that our God is a God of love, and uh, we reflect his image And when we demonstrate that love. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if ye have love one for another. And so may the Lord help us uh, to love one another. And we have lots of opportunities to demonstrate that love. For those of you who are married, of course, you have a spouse, and uh, you are to demonstrate the love of Christ to your husband or to your wife, to your children, to your parents, and uh, in the context of the church, we are to demonstrate it to one another. In the context of this world and the work of God, we demonstrate it to the world by testifying of the wonderful work that Jesus did and exemplifying the love that he has for all men in order to redeem them. And so as we come to Colossians chapter 3, we're reminded of his love for us and of our responsibility to love one another, but not only to love one another, which is a larger part of what I want to speak to you about this morning, but in particular, forgiving one another. And so I'm going to speak to you on that subject this morning, forgiving one another. We're in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all, all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, for the which also ye are called in one body. And be ye thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. We have in this passage two areas of our lives, two realms of our lives that give us and provide for us an opportunity to demonstrate the love of Christ. The first area is in the, era, uh, the realm of the church and our lives together as we serve the Lord in his church. The second is in our homes, the realm of our home and the marriage relationship. Uh, we understand that according to Ephesians chapter number 5, 
that the marriage relationship, the relationship between the husband and the wife, is to model the relationship that the Lord Jesus Christ has with his church. And if we are to dwell together in a home, and if we are to dwell together as a church and serve the Lord together, then we must be people who are learning to forgive one another. And may God help us to learn this wonderful gift of forgiveness. Now, I want you to see that forgiveness is a command of Christ. It is not an option. He has commanded that we who know him are people who forgive one another. Also, we understand that forgiveness is a characteristic of a Christian. It is a characteristic of Christ. We are followers of Christ. We are to be conformed to his image. That means we are to uh, bear his imprint, his image in our lives. That's not in a physical sense, but that is in a spiritual sense. That is in a behavioral sense. We are to mimic and imitate the life of Christ as we are energized by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so by the fact that our God is a forgiving God and that we have entered into a relationship with him and we are partakers of his nature, that means that we are to be people who are forgiving people. We are to forgive one another. Now, I want you to think about this. How did you and I, if you know the Lord as your Savior this morning, how, how is it that you entered into a relationship with him? Was it not by the nature of God that he forgave you? that you entered into this relationship? You see, you cannot become a child of God unless you have been forgiven. The Bible teaches that we, before we came to know Christ in our flesh, in our sin nature, we were enmity in our flesh with God. We were at war with God. We were by nature the children of disobedience. We were by nature the children of wrath. We rage in our flesh against God. We don't want anybody to rule over us. We have decided that it is, it is we ourselves who is in charge of our own lives. And so this rebellion against God has brought us under the wrath of God at enmity with God. But it is when we receive the grace and mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, that our sins are removed and the wrath is removed. And we who were the enemies of God are now reconciled unto God. And we enter into a relationship with him as his children. And so you and I entered into this relationship by the nature of God's forgiveness. We cannot be severed from that relationship. The Bible says that he has sealed us under the day of redemption. We are in his hand, and no man, no circumstance can ever remove us from his love or pluck us from his hand. But although we are in a relationship with him, our sin can rob us at times of our communion with him. It cannot sever our relationship, but it can hinder our communion and oftentimes in a marital situation or in a uh, family situation, you'll have two parties who are in a quarrel, as the uh, language gives us in verse number 13. They're in a disagreement. They're in an argument. 
They're aggravated and upset. Their relationship does not change. If they're married, they still remain husband and wife, but their communion, their fellowship has changed. We have, uh, if you take a chemistry course, uh, you, you learn that uh, in most places where you take chemistry in a university or college setting, you'll have a lecture. You'll go to the lecture. And in the lecture, you'll receive the principles and you'll read the textbook. You'll be tested over the material. But in my experience, and probably most likely in yours, uh, we went to lecture three days. And on the fourth day, we went to lab. And in the lab, we tested the principles of the lecture to prove them. We took the chemicals and we mixed them, and then we uh, maybe took uh, uh, some uh, flame, uh, some heat, and applied the heat to see how the chemicals would respond. Or maybe there was some pressure, physical pressure applied to certain compounds to break them up and crush them up and mix them with fluids. And, and then you would see the chemicals react. And, and through the lab, you would live out the principles that you received in the lecture. Let me tell you that when we come to a meeting of the church and we hear the word of God preached and taught, we're getting the principles and the truths. We're in lecture. So how do we get to the lab, and when do we get to the lab? Well, we're there all week. Some of you will be in the lab before you pull out of the parking lot today. You'll say to your spouse, where would you like to eat today, sweetheart? And maybe he or she will say, I don't know. You pick the place. And then maybe you won't like the tone of your sweet spouse and you might say, well, look, I'm always having to pick the place. It's about time you did something in this relationship. And before you know it, you've gone down through a long history of all the grievances that you've ever had. And uh, before you get out of the parking lot, it's time to turn around and go back to the altar again. You see, this is the lab. And the lab is typically lived out for the most part in the context of our home and in the context of our church. Because if you think about it, how do two people with different backgrounds and different, uh, different mindsets and of different gender come together and form one flesh and become common? How do they come into agreement and how do they live their lives together unless they learn to forgive one another? And how is it that a group of people who are from different backgrounds and have different levels of, uh, of education or, or different, different mindsets or, or wide and varied opinions about things? How is it that that group of people can come together and unite in one common purpose and despite all of the, the, the issues that may arise and they always inevitably do arise when you have a group of people together working together, how is it that they can stay together and carry out the goal, the plan that God has given them, the work of the church? How is it that that can happen? Only if we learn to love one another, and to forgive one another. 
That's the only way that can happen. And so may God help us to learn to forgive one another. Now, your marriage, sir, your marriage, ma'am, is to be a model of the Lord's relationship with his church. Go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse 25. You see, most young people who are married think they have married for their happiness, but they are mistaken. They have, been, they have married because God ordained marriage. He designed it for his glory and for his honor. And God has a plan for you in your marriage, and you need to discover that plan. It is revealed to us in the pages of Scripture and we find here something of the relationship that exists between a husband and his wife as it is portrayed by the relationship that Jesus Christ has with his church. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 and verse 25, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. What a challenge. Say, I love my wife. Well, do you love her the way the Bible tells you to love her? Well, well, I love her. Well, you are to love her as Christ loved the church. Well, how much did he love the church? Enough to give himself for it. What, what do you mean he gave himself for it? I mean that he suffered and bled and died because he loved the church. He gave up his life for the church. That is how a husband is to love his wife. He is to love his wife more, far more than he loves himself. That's a hard thing for us men to learn, isn't it, gentlemen? The Bible says in verse 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. The Lord Jesus does not, uh, does not seek to expose our iniquities. He seeks to cover our iniquities and to cleanse us from our sins. It is Satan who is the accuser of the brethren. It is the Lord Jesus who is the forgiver of our sin. He made the payment for our sin, and he removes them as far as the east is from the west. He casts them behind his back. This word sanctify means to make holy, to set apart, to cleanse with the washing of the water by the word. It is the work of the word of God to clean our dirty minds and our dirty hearts, our dirty hands are made clean as we bring ourselves into an exposure of the word of God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How do you get clean, young man? By taking heed thereto according to the word of God, the book of Psalms tells us. So it is the word of God that acts as water, and it cleanses our heart and minds of sin. Now, why does the Lord Jesus seek to do that for his bride, the church? Verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Let me tell you what the Lord Jesus seeks to do in your life and mine. He seeks to clean us up and make us holy and remove the blemishes. Now, in order to do that, he has demonstrated to us his love on the cross of Calvary. And the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 12, hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. 
you know, oftentimes if, if, if a lady has a blemish, she might take makeup and cover that blemish and hide it. Love covers our blemishes. And the Lord Jesus, because he loves us, does not see our blemishes. And when we seek his forgiveness, he forgives us of our blemishes. And he does not point them out to us. He does not remind us that we have them. And husbands and wives oftentimes are, are, fail miserably in the sense that they remind their spouse of all their shortcomings and failures. But the Bible says that love covereth a multitude of sins. So we're not to point out the blemishes. We are not to hold grudges and, 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 uh, and, and develop bitter spirits towards our spouses. We are to love them. And in the same sense, we are to do so with our fellow brothers and sisters. The Bible says in Proverbs 17 and verse 9, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to suffer to forgive you and I, and may God help us to be willing to suffer in order that we might extend forgiveness. You see, when we're offended, when we're offended and we're in the heat of that offense, we're not interested in extending forgiveness, are we? We're, extended in get, we're, we're interested in, in extending vengeance. We want them to pay. We want to make them unhappy. We want them to recognize how much they have hurt us. But the Lord said, wait a minute. That's not what you're to do. You are to forgive one another. Well, you might say, well, listen, you don't understand how deeply they have offended me and how greatly they have hurt me. And I would say, you could be right. I don't understand. Maybe I do, but maybe I don't. But let me tell you assuredly, there is one who does, and that is the Lord Jesus. And not only does he understand how much you have been hurt and offended by someone else, but he knows even more deeply how much he has been hurt and offended by you and by your sin. You see, all of us have offended God. And it was our sin that put him on the cross of Calvary. And if he is willing to forgive us, then we too, who are recipients of his forgiveness, should be willing to extend forgiveness to our spouses, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to our parents, to our family members. May God help us to be obedient to this command and forgive one another. Now, in order to do that, the Bible helps us because you find it difficult and I find it difficult to extend this forgiveness. So how do we do so? Let me give you five thoughts. We'll move quickly. Number one, the Spirit of Christ empowers me to forgive. The Spirit of Christ empowers me to forgive. Notice, if you would please, again in verse number 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved. That's who you are. You are the elect of God. He has separated you and made you holy. You belong to him, and he loves you. You are the object of his love. And so he speaks to you, and he says, put something on. You made a decision this morning about what you were going to wear. 
This is a garment that you are to wear. It is not a garment for the outer man. It is a garment for the inner man. He says, put on, therefore, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. In other words, he says, let this be the reflection of your heart. May this be the attitude of your heart, not one of judgment and condemnation, but one that is full of mercies. Do you know those who have received the mercy of God and are aware of it and remember it are often those who can most readily extend the mercies of God because they understand when they see someone who has a fault, they understand the faults that they have themselves. And as recipients of God's grace, they are willing to extend grace to others. Kindness. We live in an angry world, a grumbling, complaining, unhappy world, but we should have kindness in our relationships with one another, not mean-spiritedness. We should have humbleness of mind. You know, uh, we often think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. The Bible tells us not to think that way. And, and, And there's not many of us who don't think that we're right most of the time. And when these quarrels arise... The reason we have a quarrel is because we have a disagreement. We have two people who think they're right. But if we're going to have reconciliation, someone must submit. Someone must yield. And do you know that you can be right and be wrong at the same time? You can try to prove that you're right, but really prove that you're wrong with your spirit and your attitude. And most of the things that we argue about and most of the things that we disagree about are inconsequential anyway. The problem is we are proud people. Only by pride, the Bible says, cometh contention. And if we want contention and strife to be cast out, then we have to humble ourselves. We have to submit ourselves. The the Bible says have a spirit of meekness. Meekness is strength under control. It's not weakness but it's being yielded to God. And then long-suffering, bearing patiently with trying circumstances. How is it that I am to do that? The only way I can do that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of Christ that empowers me to forgive because in my flesh, I do not want to do that. Corey Tin Boom, who was a Holocaust survivor who spent years in a concentration camp, traveled the world uh, later in life and shared the message of the gospel of Christ in her testimony. And one day after she spoke, uh, one face that she recognized came forward. It was the face of a man who had served as a Nazi guard in the concentration camp. And as she saw him, obviously, she was shocked And all of the horror of that experience was rushing through her mind as this man approached her, and he called her name, and he said, Corey, can you forgive me? And extended his hand toward her. She said, in that moment, I was filled with the horror of those memories, and I was frozen, and I said to the Lord, Lord, I cannot do this but I'm trusting you. And as she said that and prayed that prayer and sought God's power, she said, I began to extend my hand, even uh, almost without knowing so, and I 
took his hand in mine, and she said, when my hand touched his, I felt liquid love flowing through me. I want to tell you what she felt, the power and presence of the Holy Ghost. To be able to forgive a man like that. And if Christ forgave you and I, then we must forgive our brothers and sisters. The Spirit of Christ empowers me to forgive. You say, I can't forgive, Pastor. Then ask the Lord Jesus Christ to fill you with himself and his power and enable you to do what you cannot do and then go and do it. And what you'll find is that God will give you the strength as you resolve to obey him. Number two, not only does the Spirit of Christ empower me to forgive, but the example of Christ leads me to forgive. I am a follower of Christ as a Christian, a believer. I am his disciple. He is leading me, and so I am to follow him. And the Bible says in verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So here I am told to do what he did. And what is it that he did? He forgave me. Now, how do I demonstrate this? Well, he says in verse 13, forbearing one another. You know, there are certain people that can be hard to deal with. I don't think it's a good idea for you to start naming them. But there are certain people who are hard to deal with. They have habits that annoy us. They do things that annoy us. And um, we can lose patience with them. The Bible said we are to forbear one another to forbear one another. We understand that we're in a relationship with people and, and um, that they're at a different place than maybe we are. Maybe uh, they need the grace of God and we need to be patient with them and then forgiving them when they offend us. And our example is the Lord Jesus in this. Now, there was a time when Peter came to the Lord, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21 through 35. I think it's a great passage. I hope you'll uh, look at it, and I hope you will make a note of it so that you can visit this passage later. But the Bible says that Peter came to the Lord Jesus and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? I mean, Lord, here's a, here's a man that's offended me, and, and he keeps offending me, and he asks for forgiveness, and I forgive him, and, and then he does it again, and then I, I forgive him, and, and then he does it again. I mean, how many times, Lord? I mean, is seven the limit? And so the Lord says to him, the Lord Jesus answers him in verse 22, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. That means unlimited. You're to extend him grace and forgiveness in an unlimited fashion. By the way, how does he extend it to us? Is there some point that we cross the line of God's mercy and grace? The Bible says his mercy endureth forever. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the Lord gives this illustration, this story, this parable. There is, therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants and when he'd begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. That's a lot of money, folks. 
but for as much as he had not to pay. In other words, he owed the king uh, 10,000 talents, and he had nothing to pay him. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. You owe a debt, and you have to pay the debt. You know the debt that we owe? It's the debt of our sin. The wages of sin is death. Not only physical death, but eternal death in a place called hell because we have offended God. We are worthy of that debt. So the Bible says in verse 26, the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. He's crying out, Lord, please don't do this. Have patience with me. I, I, I'll do something. I'll figure something out. I, I'll do something to pay you. Please be patient with me. Verse 27, then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Imagine his relief. I'm not going to be sold into servanthood. My family's not going to be sold into servanthood. My debt is paid. Imagine the burden that was off that man. Verse 28, the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a 100 pence. That's nothing compared to the talents that he owed his king, 10,000 of them. Here's a man who owes him just a 100 pence, just a few pennies perhaps. And the Bible said he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. Oh, listen, when people offend us, what do we want to do? Oh, in our spirit, we like to lay hands on them, take them by the throat. I can't believe they've offended me so. And he said, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down in his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Same, same thing he had asked his Lord to do for him. Verse 30, and he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told it unto the Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, if I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me, shouldest not thou have also had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Here we have this example that is given, this man who owes his Lord, his king, his master. He owes him more than he could ever pay. He asks for mercy, and he receives it. But then he finds one of his brothers who owes him just a little bit of money, and he says, wait a minute, you owe me. And the guy says, wait, I don't have anything to pay. Will you forgive me? He said, absolutely not. Does that not describe our spirit oftentimes? When someone offends us, or does something that we do not approve of? Oh, we can't put them into prison, not physically, not literally, but we certainly can talk about them, can't we? We can criticize them. We can harbor uh, bad feelings about them. We can keep them at arm's distance. But the Lord Jesus said, I forgave, so must you. So it is the example of Christ that leads me to forgive. Let me give you the third thought. It is the love of Christ that compels me to forgive. 
It's the love of Christ. Verse 14, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. You see, offenses and unforgiveness is what drives a marriage apart. What holds it together? Love. Not this worldly romantic notion of love. The Bible says put on charity. Charity is love in action. It is not based on the worthiness of the recipient of that love. In other words, it's not based on how attractive the person is with their outward appearance, with their personality, how nice they are. That's not what this kind of love responds to. It's good to have someone like that to love, isn't it? But not all people are that way. So we're commanded to love as Christ loved. And that love is not based on the worthiness of the recipient of that love, but that love is based on the character of the lover. In other words, because of who we are, we are to love one another. We are to love as Christ loved. By the way, he loved us when we were together unlovely. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There was nothing attractive about us, nothing special about us. We were sinners who were at war with God, under the wrath of God. But God set his affection upon us, and he loved us, and he sent his son to the cross to die for us while we were unlovely people. And when my heart is filled with that love, not this selfish, romantic notion of love, but the love of God, that I can love my spouse the way Christ loves me. I can love my brother and my sister as Christ has commanded. And when I'm filled with that love, I must forgive. It is, the Bible calls it the bond of perfectness. What is it that holds a marriage together? What is it that holds a church together when offenses come, when difficulties come, when trials come, when misunderstandings come, when hurts come? It is the love of Christ. You see, in the context of a, of a marriage, you're living, with, you're living with someone that you know better than anybody else knows them. You know all the, the, the negative aspects of their life because you live with them. You know them better than anyone else. But you can love them if you're filled with the love of Christ in spite of those faults, in spite of those difficulties. It is the love of Christ that compels me to forgive. Number four, it is the peace of God that requires me to forgive. The peace of God requires me to forgive. Notice verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful. Now I said a moment ago, when you and I sin against God, we do not become disconnected to him in our relationship, but our fellowship is disrupted. And when a two people in a marriage or in a family or in a church have a quarrel against each other and there is no forgiveness extended, there is a disruption in their fellowship. Their fellowship is hindered. 
their relationship is hindered. It's not severed, but it's hindered. Their spirit is disrupted. The Bible says in Psalm 66 in verse number 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Do you know that God says when you won't forgive someone, you have offended me, you have sinned against me, and I call it iniquity. What did the Lord say to that servant whom he had forgiven earlier? He said, thou wicked servant. What was his wickedness? His wickedness was that he would not forgive the one who had offended him. And when I have an offense and I will not extend forgiveness, then what I have done is I have disrupted my own heart and my own soul, and I have hindered my relationship with my brother or sister in Christ or my spouse, and I have hindered my relationship with my Lord. One day I was coming to work. My wife and I had had a disagreement. It wasn't a terrible disagreement, but it was a disagreement. I felt like I was right. She felt like she was right. I was coming to work, and I had to speak in chapel, and I came to the intersection, and I'm trying to gather my thoughts for the chapel hour and asking the Lord to help me and use me to be a blessing to the kids and preach to the young people in the chapel. And do you know what the Lord by his Spirit said to me? You, you might as well just be quiet until you get this thing straight with your wife. I'm not going to hear you. You think I'm going to use you? You think I'm going to bless you? No, no, not going to do it. Not until you get things right. And so in those moments, short moments, I had to send a text or make a call. I can't remember what I did, but I, I did. I did do so because I did not want to go to the pulpit without God's blessings. You see, it's a dreadful thing when we learn to live with this disruption. That's why you have church members, and I don't know that we have church members this way, but I've been in church a long time, and, and there are church members who won't speak to one another. I don't know how they live that way. That's not God's plan. Let me tell you what that is. That's wickedness. Can I say it again? It's wickedness. When two Christian people cannot speak to one another, that's wickedness. Now, you say, well, I tried, but they won't listen. Well, that, then that's not wickedness on your part because if you forgave them, then you did what you're supposed to do. A husband and a wife dwelling together in the same house but bitter against one another, hardly will speak to one another, can't find a kind word for one another. Let me tell you what that's called, wickedness. It's sin. And there's no peace in a home like that. And if you want peace, you have to forgive. And when you do, you will enjoy the peace of God. It will rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And when you don't have that peace, then you say, okay, God, I've got to do something. I need to forgive someone and do it. Let me give you the last thought. 
Are you ready for it? You say, yeah, we were ready for it a long time ago. Oh, technology's great until you have a problem with it. Number five, the Word of God admonishes me to forgive. The Word of God admonishes me to forgive. Notice it in verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I want to ask you a question. Whose authority are you under? If you're under God's, then you're going to listen to his voice. Sometimes, you know, when your kids, you're correcting your children, they won't look at you. I've been known to say this because I like for people I'm talking to to look at me because when they're not looking at me, I have no confidence they're listening. And I tell our students, you listen with your eyes. God is saying, look at me. I want you to hear my voice. I have something to say to you. Let my word dwell in you richly in all wisdom because it teaches you and it admonishes you. And once you are taught and admonished or warned, literally, by my word, then you will do what I'm telling you to do. And as I fill my heart with the truth of God's word and I submit to the authority of God's word, I understand I cannot go on in unforgiveness toward my brother or sister in Christ. If I do that, do you know what happens? If I won't forgive them, it will lead into bitterness in my heart. And that bitterness will destroy me. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31, the Bible says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, this is the work of the flesh. This is the garment of the flesh. He says, you got to take that garment off. What is our natural reaction to hurt and suffering and being mistreated? Our natural reaction is to become bitter. And then as we become bitter, we're filled with wrath, and then that wrath manifests itself outwardly in our anger, and that anger can lead to our clamor, you know, our high-volume shouting, and then saying things that we know we should not say. That is evil speaking referred to here in verse 32, and then malice is having hatred and contempt for someone to the degree that we want something bad to happen to them. That is our natural reaction to being hurt, being offended. And when we do not forgive, that bitterness produces this in our lives. And the Lord said, wait a minute, put it away from you and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You've heard the old adage, hurt people, hurt people. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. Do you know anybody who's troubled? 
Are you troubled? Why are you troubled? Is there some hurt, some offense in your past that you've not forgiven? Maybe something a spouse or a brother or sister in Christ or a family member, a parent, someone that you trusted, someone has offended you, someone has hurt you, and you have held on to that hurt. You are not willing to forgive them, and now you're troubled about it because you've allowed a root of bitterness to spring up in your life. But not only are you troubled by it, but the Bible says, and thereby many be defiled. I want you to picture walking through a crowd and you've got a cup filled to the brim. And you're trying to walk through that crowd and people are pressing against you. And here you are, you're trying to contain the elements that are in that cup in it, but you can't as you're jostled around in life What's inside the cup comes out, and you spill it on other people. There's certain individuals you can be around not very long at all, and you find out they've got something in their cup. It's a cup full of bitterness, and they might get incidentally in somehow, in some way jostled by someone and the cup spills all over them, and many are defiled. Don't carry around your hurt and your offenses and transfer them onto others. You'll defile them. You'll hurt the communion of God's people. You'll hurt your own walk with Christ and the work of the church. You'll bring strife to your marriage and division and a great world of trouble. And so God says to us, again in verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.